welcome to the Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. This week, I'm talking with Chicago-based UX designer Charlene King. We chat about her struggles after she came out as gay and not being supported by her family. The challenges she faced in school from learning disabilities and dropping out of high school, being on the autism spectrum, and how it's become an asset in her work, and more, all right after this. It's no secret that I love Jack Prince. They're a longtime sponsor of the podcast and Creative South. Plus, they do great work. Whether they're making our pop-up displays and tablecloths or printing notebooks, Jack Prince is always there when we need them. This year, they are printing new Creative South t-shirts for me and the podcast stickers. They have a coupon code on the back that gives you a great discount on all of their products, just in time for Creative South. Speaking of stickers, Jack Prince will print any kind, shape, size, or stock, including full-color stickers with full-color liner prints, for you to use as product labels, promotions, bumper stickers, hang tags, business cards, and more. Right now, you can get 500 3x3-inch die-cut stickers, starting at $149. Plus, Jack Prince is giving Creative South podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code CREATE15CS at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. If you like the Creative South podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every dollar helps us cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. With options starting at just $1 per month, you can help support the podcast and even wind up with some cool Creative South podcast swag. When you become a Creative South patron, you'll get access to exciting Creative South news before anyone else. A shout out on the podcast thanking you for your support. Creative South podcast stickers and t-shirts. So, please... Help support the podcast by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash creative south. Charlene, thanks for joining me this morning. Thanks. Great to be here. So so let's dive right into things. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Queens, New York. Okay. So when, when you were growing up, what, what type of kid were you? What were you into? Were you sports, art, just you know, video games? What? I was the weird experimental troublemaker prankster kid. <laughs> kind of like okay. Death the Menace. Um, uh-huh. To be honest, I kind of didn't like art because it meant sitting down and, you know, doing things on paper as opposed to seeing if you could ride a tricycle down you know, a steep hill into a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recommend going into the tree, but riding down a steep hill sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Has I grew up in the age of Hasbro, and so oh, yeah. there was a lot of television that I I think influenced my young mind. You know, I tried feeding my fish a popsicle. Um, How'd that go? <laughs> it did not go well. Poor fish. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Well, when so when you um, when you got to school, and you're going through high school and all, did you figure out? Did you have a path? Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do? Well, I didn't, because um, I so in junior high I took an entrance exam. I got into a prestigious science high school. Oh, uh, cool. So the goal was to like become like a marine biologist or yeah. a, a genetic 
epidemiologist. So that's someone who like studies the how genetic diseases would spread. Right. Sure. Sure. Um, I love that. But, uh, you know, I dropped out of high school. I had a, a lot of trouble at home coming out. Mm-hmm. Of um, also, I had a slew of learning disabilities. So it was really hard to get the attention that probably would have nurtured my like educational goals. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it, it got rough. But, you know, so when I when I ended up going for my GED, I went to um, an auxiliary kind of alternative high school. And one of the teachers there um, really took a shine to me. I mm-hmm. worked as a, for a little bit as a um, a guard, a security guard over at PS1, the Museum for Contemporary Arts. Oh, okay. And yeah, so, you know, he overheard me talking to um, different patrons and guests and he asked me to become a docent. And so that kind of like kickstarted my path on going to art school, which led to <laughs> Gotcha. When, when you came out and, 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 you know, if you don't want to talk about this, we, we don't have to, but when you came out, you said, you know, it wasn't very supportive at home where it was, I take it your family um, yeah, didn't, didn't, like didn't believe in that lifestyle <laughs> as, as people phrase it, which I don't understand why they phrase it that way. Yeah, me neither. But um, no, they did not like that. And, it, you know, I, I definitely don't think I got the worst end of it compared to some people I know, especially kids I knew from like uh, Hetrick Martin. That's a shelter for LGBTQ youth. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, you know, just generally, like, there are some really messed up people out there. Oh, yeah, yeah. For me, it was still intolerable. And, you know, so I left. Okay. So they didn't kick you out, but they didn't make it comfortable for you. No, you know, and that's, it's that kind of thing. Like I wouldn't say, I don't know if I could look back on it and say I made the right decision, but I'm currently content with my life. So there's that. (laughs) At, at At the time, it seemed like the right choice. Right. Gotcha. Do you have a relationship with your parents now? Yes, it's things have gotten pretty good. You know, like my mom actually really adores my current partner. Mm -hmm. um, And that's it's really cute. (laughs) (laughs) It's super cute. And, you know, I don't think 20 years ago I would have expected this to happen. So that's really cool. Well, I mean, that's great that they were able to come around and, and, you know, overcome their their misgivings and hesitations to kind of remember their love for their child to be able to foster that. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of things happened, um, when the biggest things that I think happened, like my brother, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I think it's, I think it's more that she has a much deeper appreciation for like, what it is to like value happiness in life, you know, versus right. like the other metrics. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a parent. I, I, you know, my main goal is that my kids are safe and healthy and happy. And then, you know, yeah. anything else that comes around that, I mean, I'm not going to let them play with fire or something like that, but yeah, you, know, you also have to let your kids 
and this is going to sound weird in conjunction with it, but you've got to let your kids make their own mistakes and learn from that as well. Not not saying that you know being gay is a mistake. Just <laughs> I couldn't th- I couldn't think of a better analogy at the time. No, <laughs> so it's fine. I get it. I mean, like this is the other thing. Like you know, um, I really think I try to think about it from my mom's perspective. And mm-hmm. when I look back on my youth, I really I you know it's not really an exaggeration that I was like a Dennis the Menace kind of child. Sure, so sure. for her it seemed like one more log in the shit fire that was <laughs> trying to grow up into a healthy functional adult and you know like i think about ux practices and like mm-hmm. really like i think anyone who enjoys messing with people should get a career in ux because it's very similar <laughs> sure. and you know um like this isn't a career that i think 20 years ago people could conceive of you know, no, definitely like, not. I think about the careers my mom thought I would be good at. She thought I should be a lawyer because that that also is a career in messing with people. You know, yeah. Like if you, <laughs> in, if you in other words, it, she thought you were like, really good at arguing with people, right? <laughs> right, like being like you know, like a truly a devil's advocate versus you know, like someone who's just like on the internet trolling people, but someone mm. could be pedantic and find loopholes and like really look at the details of things and find way the wiggle room to like alter outcomes, you know? And that's, Mm. you know, like that abstractly is also UX design and, you know, except UX design, I think for me is a lot more fulfilling because you also get to do things like research and, you know, you can apply a lot of these theories, which is fun, you know? Yeah. Well, let, let's kind of get back to So you, you drop out of high school, you go, you get your GED, you know, you, you're kind of getting mentored by somebody there at PS1 to become a docent and, and grow there. How do you, after you get your GED and, and all, what do you, what do you start doing? Well, I ended up at, um, well, I got it first. I got a job at Pearl Paint, uh, now defunct art store chain based out of Mm. New York. And, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know anything about art, but I'm going to art school. (laughs) So I thought I'd get a job at an art supply store. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot about art there. (laughs) I also, uh, I may have unionized the store, you know, (laughs) they, they wanted us to sign these contracts that, uh, like declined overtime pay before Christmas. And, you know, we just contacted unite, you know, um, their unionizing organization and Mm -hmm. we, we passed and, you know, the pay went up to 10 bucks an hour and it was, it was really nice, you know? Um, but then I went to art school in Chicago. I went to <laughs> SAIC. They, they okay. fired me at the Pearl Paint there. <laughs> I can't imagine why. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh, when, when you get into art school, do you kind of have an idea of what you want to do at that point? Because, well, I mean, even five years ago, UX wasn't a terminology that was used. So I'm, I'm curious as how you figured well, out I, your current path. Well, I definitely didn't go to SAIC for UX. Sure. <laughs> I went to, when I went to SAIC, like the re, one of the reasons that why I liked SAIC was because they had no um, – 
you didn't have to pick a major. Um, okay. and they have a pass fail system, which I, I really love, you know, um, mm. I don't, I, I know a lot of other students worried about how it diluted the credibility of the degree because kids who didn't do a lot of work or even attend classes could still sure. share that. But for me, you know, it meant that and you know I didn't I could be free to make mistakes and the only penalty to a mistake would be did I learn something from it not whether mm-hmm. I would receive a bad grade you know like I think that's the interesting thing about conventional and traditional schooling is you you reward kids for re- duplicating what you've asked them to duplicate versus did they actually learn the concept you know, mm-hmm. and you can learn from a mistake as much as you can from duplicating work. Sure. But that's, you know, that's SAIC's philosophy and less, you know, um, less something that works for everyone, you know? Right, right. Um, and so at SAIC, I ended up taking, so found the first year foundation classes. This is the first time I'm doing like a lot of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. There are some kids there who have done art since they were like in Pampers. I mean, like really like like summer camps and, uh, you know, Cooper Union programs and stuff like that. And it's just like mind blowing how skilled these kids are, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got to play around. I learned how to weld. I learned how to do like animation and sound editing. And it was just so cool. And, you know, like so I ended up focusing on viscom and print media because those were the two disciplines i had the most fun and the cool thing about the visual communication uh track over at saic was it really wasn't limited to um commercial traditional design it was really like whatever disciplines could help you contribute to a creating a conceptually solid message you know okay And it was this, it was just, it really fascinated me. Like, you know, I mean, that's, that's what advertising is. When you think of like broad, like all the different channels of advertising, how is any of that different from like learning sculpture, 40, drawing, any photography, all Mm. those skills contribute to being a great art director. Sure. So, so when you, when you get through SAIC, what do you end up doing? Where do where do you find yourself? I end up I ended up doing advertising, you know, like I jumped around from a lot of different um, agencies. Uh, I freelanced a lot. It really wasn't until I was maybe twenty five I even got a full time job. My first full time job was when I was twenty five. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So, so you'd be, yeah, you'd been out of school. You'd kind of established yourself and, and, and knew where you were before you even got a full-time job. Yeah. You know, it was just the kind of the same idea, you know, like I've always been kind of a very unaccepting person, uh, <laughs> you know, like if something wasn't working for me, Mm. I was willing to drop it and move on to the next thing, you know, like, and you know, I think it takes, I'm not patting myself on the back. I think it's a really hard decision to do when you're younger and you're sure. not sure how it will impact your career to keep quitting. And mm. you know, in hindsight, I can say, 
hey, you know, it was it was a great idea for me to do this because our industry is much more forgiving of that than a traditional job. It also gave me the chance to develop experiences across many different aspects of our job. And it led to me being a fuller designer later in my career, you know, but I think I, I would be lying if I said at the beginning of it, I knew that's how it would play out. <laughs> sure. Well, I think anybody who knows uh, going into things exactly how their um, career is going to play out is um, probably a sociopath in some sort of way, because there are so yeah. many <laughs> there are so many ways that things change and evolve. And because I know I, I I was just up in Grand Rapids and I literally did a talk on this. And, you know, when I got out of school, my thought was I'm going to go into advertising and that's going to be you know, my path in life. And Lord knows I'm not anywhere near that. I mean, I still do advertising, but I don't work in agencies or anything like that. And if, you know, 20 years ago when I graduated college, if you had told me I'd be doing what I'm doing now, I wouldn't believe yeah. it. No, like I do not think teenage Charlene would believe you if you said, oh, you're going to work at an independent financial research company. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. I don't even believe that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But so that's the cool thing, you know, about faith, you know, having good faith in what you're doing. And you just got to trust that you will, things will work out as long as you're always honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. How did, how did you put that, that kind of trust and faith in yourself? Cause you know, you, you came from a, not necessarily the best environment and it wasn't the most supportive and, and, you know, was it just through learning you had to rely on yourself that you had that, or was it that something that you always had in you? Uh, you know, I think it's just, there's a lot of things going on, right? You know, sure. one thing is, is that like people, you know, like at the base level, people will always give you money if you convince them. <laughs> okay. You know? And I think that's what also attracted me to advertising was that advertising is this purely subjective discipline of offering to communicate for other people. Um, right. And I thought I was pretty good at it, you know? And mm -hmm. so like I just stuck with it. And the main reason I left advertising, it definitely wasn't the money. I was, I was making real good money. <laughs> um, sure. it was that I felt like I couldn't invest in any particular client, you know, like it's very, it's, it's like being, you're constantly meeting new challenges, but you don't get to invest in one particular client for the long haul. You sure. Know? Yeah. You can't do a deep dive in and really right. make a difference. And you don't get to choose the things you fix. The client does. You sure. Know? So that was actually, and then the hours were pretty long. Um, yeah. I didn't think it was really worth the pay for me myself at that point, you know? Um, sure. so I left, you know, um, I'm not, you know, like there's still a lot of grievances I have with advertising, but I think there are a lot of ways that advertising fits other people. You know, I don't mm. think advertising is necessarily bad. We are a species that will always have some type of advertising, whether it's word of mouth advocating, you know, like 
hey, have you tried this donut? It's very delicious. <laughs> I mean, I feel like donuts sell themselves, but... <laughs> it's true. But there are some donuts that are superior to others. This I is very true. do the worst donut, but I would definitely love to find out about a better donut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so when you step out of advertising... Um, what do you what do you end up doing? Do you go to work for yourself? Do you go in house somewhere? What what are you doing? So, it was I think it was about five and a half years ago, mm-hmm. um, my last advertising job. So it was only my second full time job, you know. <laughs> and I'd been at the company Acuity Group now for a year and a half. You know, I thought I had it pretty good. I loved my coworkers. Mm-hmm. I, Felt like I was growing and learning from some very talented individuals. The benefits were pretty good, but they were also preparing to be bought out by Accenture. So there were mm-hmm. massive layoffs. Sure. Um, I think all told, they laid off 60 people. Oh, wow. Yeah. We're talking just designers. They laid off like yeah. 60 designers. So, you know, I was pretty bitter at the time. And, you know, I was just already disliking the lack of um, intimate commitment to things, you know. So, you know, I was interviewing at a few agencies, the handful of agencies I hadn't worked with yet in Chicago. Sure. And, um you know, one of my friends was just like, hey, we're hiring at Morningstar. Mm-hmm. Would you think about going to Morningstar? And I was like, sure, why not? <laughs> you know, my my ex-wife, uh, my wife at the time, you know, she, she had heard of Morningstar and she mm-hmm. was pressuring me to take a job where the benefits and job security would be much higher than before. So I, I sure. was like, sure, why not? Understandable. Yeah. So I interviewed at Morningstar. It was, I was blown away by the culture, by the mm-hmm. people I met during the mm-hmm. interview process. Um, the design of the office itself is like a beautiful you know the lobby itself looks more like a high-end hotel than it does a financial research firm you know sure Um, sure. and so i was like why not give it a shot you know if you don't like it it after three months find another job it's not like chicago has a shortage of um jobs um Mm -hmm. so funny story i thought i was uh hired at morningstar as a designer (laughs) a visual designer it wasn't okay (laughs) I realized uh, my official role was UX design. <laughs> so ah. I was like, okay, this is cool. You know, I'd been working in, you know, software and apps and digital stuff. So it wasn't like a, a, a complete jump. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was just like, okay, I'm not going to focus on visual stuff anymore. And it was fine, you know. Sure. I, out of curiosity, and, and we haven't talked about this, but, you know, I'm trying to find a way to segue into it. So I'm just going to blurt it out. So you, you're on this, you're on the autism spectrum. Yes. And I'm, I'm curious because, and, and this is a personal curiosity because I, I, I think I told you this when we were first connecting that both my kids are on the autism spectrum and, you know, 
one of the things that comes with that, and and you mentioned it when I sent out the little questionnaire, is that empathy is a challenge for you, and 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 being a UX designer, there is a huge amount of empathy that has to go into that. Yeah. So, I, so how does that work out for you? Sorry. I, you know, I don't know if empathy, empathy is not a word that does it a full, like uh, a holistic justice, right? Sure. Empathy to me, there's a few different things going on, right? You have empathy, the kind of empathy where, you know, you're just like in the presence of something and you can read it rapidly right Mm -hmm. um there's also empathy the ability to actively look for the signs that let you know what's going on Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. so for me you know through most of my life i've been more consciously instructed in how to learn how to read people right um so Things like, oh, man, like when the TV show Lie to Me came out and I learned about micro expressions. Uh I I loved that show, by the way. Yeah, I love it, too. And I must have gobbled everything by Paul Ekman in the course of a month, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and that made a huge difference in how especially I could read people during something like an interview. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, we had a casual interview at Morningstar during my first week there. It was just the kind of thing where it's like, we're going to test, we're going to practice our jobs to be done interviewing skills to on a colleague just to see how things are going. And this was a colleague that like my coworkers knew for a long time, but because I had just started, I didn't know anything about him. And, you know, there were just like little random things I was reading and it kind of blew away my coworkers, because, you know, like, how did you know he lost weight recently? How do you know that he's um, this kind of investor? And, you know, because these weren't things he explicitly talked about, but these were things I read in his body language and the clothing he was wearing. And it's just stuff, you know, you learn that, you know, like, I think empathy is one of those things you can be, you can learn, you know, like, I would agree with that. It's a skill, you know, and I think like every other skill a human can possess, you can always um, you can be born with an in, uh, kind of a, an innate advantage. But there's also practicing. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm curious because, like you said, that you, you can be born with an innate advantage. But I think from what you're saying is you weren't necessarily born with that innate advantage, but you were aware that you weren't. So you became hyper vigilant and hyper focused on being able to pick those things out. So you trained yourself to be aware of things, whereas people who come by it naturally don't focus on it and don't, and just kind of go with the flow. So they may not pick up on things. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a weird, um, also like it's a, discrepancy in education right so mm-hmm. since you know i i i'm kind of dyslexic too so when mm-hmm. i techniques that are very them how people are traditionally taught how to read you know like for instance sure. you memorize letters appear in a word so you can read words out of order and in chunks and in whole paragraphs even and you know instead of like sequentially letters at a time like the a b c you know or like 
D A D means dad. I learned right. A D D means dad or add or you know, and yeah. you the context right, and you know like I find out like in my adulthood if you have five hundred dollars you can learn speed reading, and those are the exact same techniques. Okay. <laughs> Like, and that's hilarious to me that like, if someone wants to learn how to read 1800 words a minute, you know, you can just Google dyslexia reading techniques and you'd probably get the same thing. Huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or right now, for instance, Common Core, uh, a lot of parents are really mad about Common Core. I look at the Common Core, um, problems that are presented to kids and that is exactly what kids with uh, dyscalculia are taught right but sure. it's also what people in china are taught at like age two <laughs> gotcha it's 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 a weird discrepancy um and it, i you know yeah, I mean, you know, it's pretty cool when you really start looking at it, how many different paths there are to accomplish something. Yeah, I know. Well, I will say with the Common Core, if because my kids have a bit of dyscalculia and dysgraphia and it 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 really depends on how like how that Common Core with math is framed, because yeah. if it's framed wrong. There's just it makes it's, it worse. Yeah, because, you know, this is the other problem is like you have a lot of teachers who weren't trained in Common Core trying mm -hmm. to explain it. And then you also have a whole system that was brought up without Common Core trying right. to present it. And then you have parents who have no experience with Common Core trying to help their kids. And it's that is a lot different than, let's say, in Singapore or if you go to like a special tutor for kids with math disabilities, mm -hmm. you know, everyone there except for the child understands those ki that kind of structure. Sure. You know? And that makes all the difference, I think. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's a matter of reframing things of how you, right. how you learn. Yeah, exactly. And but the thing is, you need to have people who understand that framework for right. it explained well right and well i mean so we homeschool my kids and you know a part of that reason was you know this the the standard learning model that's taught in public schools is is one size fit all and nobody's one size fit all no it's and the conventional education i think is very hard on most students like it's really like only a handful of people who can excel with that sure because um, a lot of it is dependent on whether or not you can successfully duplicate what the teacher has presented oh yeah know? very much so yeah. um and if you can even extrapolate how to analytically think from that then mm. you're that much ahead of the curve you know um yeah. but for a lot of kids it's hard you know like it was, this is something that frustrated my mom throughout my childhood was, you know, and this, for a long time they couldn't diagnose me with anything because I was, I was smart, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I was doing well at my classes whenever I wanted to, or so it seemed, you know, so something like reading and writing, how could they tell I was dyslexic when I was always very good at it? 
You know, it wasn't until certain age, you know, ages, like in fourth grade, we were finally presented with algebra and I was tanking and no one understood why. Because before that, my math was fine. Mm -hmm. Start throwing letters in there and. Yeah. And everything goes nuts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I I definitely can relate to that because I had, you know, uh, I've got ADHD. I've had it you know, since I was a kid. Uh, and this was well before it was common to diagnose people with ADHD. And and I've got a few learning disabilities as well. And it, those are things that I always struggled with was a sitting still in the classroom to be able to focus on things. And then when it got to certain subjects, um, I just, it wasn't that I wasn't interested. It's just, I didn't know how to process it. So, you know, you combine that with not being able to focus on things and you lost me real quick. Right. And the other thing is too, and I think this is something that's very cool about um, culture now is, you know, we find that like, well, if you're not good at this, maybe you should try that. And oops, it looks like you found something you're really good at, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the things that make, you know, like not to like, I don't think people need to find something that they're that. But so the things that make me different than other people are the things that I think that make me exceptionally good at being a UX designer, you know, like my ability to find patterns, my ability to like shortcut things, my ability not to be emotionally invested in any particular solution like these are things that make a great ux designer gotcha. and, you know but it does not make for a good student in you know seventh grade algebra <laughs> <laughs> sure sure and i mean well i mean and the, all the things that you just said that you're good at are the things that i struggle with like i'm, I'm okay at pattern recognition but um you know i'm i'm I would say I'm hyper empathetic. So I start picking up, you know, other people's emotions and tones and things like that and absorb it into myself. So being able to divorce myself from my work and not take that personally is, is a real challenge for me. Um, but at so the that, same time, it makes you a very good designer because yes. you, your, your investment is not something that can be easily taught. No, and it, it it makes me be able to when it comes to like advertising and things, be able to do that emotional connection that you need to be right. able to sell things. So, yeah, but. I mean, that was also a struggle for me in advertising because what would happen is I I would see the numbers, I would see the re, the research, and I would be able to explain to the client why one particular campaign isn't working and I would make suggestions, but it would be very difficult for me to understand why they didn't want to make that switch because numerically it made sense to me, but the emotional connection, that's a different story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Everything. So you you could sell on the empirical data, but selling on the emotional connection was tough for you. Right. Yeah. And then, and I'm the opposite. Like, Uh, we should be a team. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. There we go. I'm getting better. I will say, I am getting better at, you know, understanding. Like, I understand the data. It just, for me, it's, it doesn't come naturally. It's not that gut feeling. 
So yeah. it's 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 not always easy for me to process that when and convey that to a client. Going going back to work and all, as as you're you, so you've been at Morningstar for at at the time a few months and and you're kind of finding your footing and all. Um, when you fit when you finally figure out that they're prepping you to be a UX designer, uh, what runs through your head at that moment? I think that's cool. You know, like I've always enjoyed UX. Um, you know, kind of funny at my at a job I had two jobs before Morningstar. They were trying to convince me to become a UX designer, and I didn't want to. And it was mostly because of how they practiced UX there. Because sure. uh, you know, as an ad agency, I think the UX was more about like how do we de-risk um, this proposal to a client not necessarily whether or not this is the most verified solution for the client you know mm-hmm. um, and so at Morningstar the way the UX is set up it's a lot more playful you know mm-hmm. because we're not we don't have to sell to a client we are the client yeah you, you know great right so if you have solutions a b c let's test it and what is working best. It isn't, you know, like, so please come up with results that make solution B look good, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun, you know, and a lot of the UX designers at morning, well, a lot of the designers in general at Morningstar come from all sorts of backgrounds. Sure. Um, like one I worked with came from a broadcast background, um, one woman I worked with came from a arts therapy background. Oh, wow. Um, and I think I was the only person with an agency background. Hmm. Um, so it was really cool to like, kind of like figure things out as I went along. Um, you know, there were a lot of UX skills I came to the table with just cause of freelancing and being, um, an art director in the digital space, you know, like I was, able to like run my own research tests, um, things like that. And so it was just, it was actually a lot of fun and I did not expect enjoy, like to enjoy dropping visual stuff so readily, but you know, with focusing on visual there, it's, I'm, I don't, I'm hesitant to say there's not as much room to play, but it feels like that to me. Like, because, you know, something either works or doesn't. And I think that decision being left to the designer, that's great for some people. But for Mm -hmm. me, I like the binary, you know, I like, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing like pitting things against each other and seeing which one sticks better. Gotcha. So, I mean, do you think it was just... It was more fitting for your headspace of how you process things. Is do you think that's what it was? Yeah, you know, I I think I don't know. I it definitely hadn't been something I considered because I had looked at UX for a long time as this very dry work. Sure. You know, and once I got, I was able to focus more on it without the visual work. You know, I just found all the different ways. I could play with it, you know, and most of the time, you know, at work, I, I spend most of my time 
kind of like researching, testing, and, you know, kind of in my more acceptable way, pranking people, you know? <laughs> sure. So some, some habits never go away, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm I'm curious because you since you went to school and and kind of your your formative college years and things like that you 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 grew up in a very visual you know medium and and focused on that when you got to Morningstar was there part of you that still needed to do that a little bit but it was you know the kind of thing like there's always room for it outside of work. And one of the beautiful things about Morningstar is I get to leave my work at the office. Like it's a nine to five job Monday through Friday. And having that work life balance means I can go home and focus on art. You know, like I think this is the first Inktober in five years that I haven't participated. And that's mostly because of timing. <laughs> um, <laughs> with other things outside of my work life, you know, like I just came sure. off of a sabbatical that's like, you know, six weeks paid time off from Morningstar. And, you know, that's just stuff. That's time you can apply it to art. And, you know, for me, like I like the playfulness in art so much that like to have the freedom to do whatever I want with the visual stuff is much more enjoyable than sure. having the constraints of work. Sure. So, so how do you, how do you separate? How do you turn one on and then turn the other off? So when you basically, when you leave the office and you want to do something that's more creative, how do you get into that headspace? Well, I haven't, I have uh, a, a, office studio I guess set up here you know like my apartment's huge it's just me and my partner mm -hmm. but it's a three bedroom and yeah like and then the um other spaces like that there's my drafting table and a desk and that's where it's full of sunshine <laughs> that's where <laughs> I can do like more 2d-esque things you know and then I know one of the you know, one of the side projects you talked about is now that you you like to mess around with building furniture and stuff. How did you get into that? Well, you know, like IKEA. <laughs> yeah, IKEA stuff just falls apart all the time. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so I started just hacking my own repairs, and then you know I started learning about that stuff. And there was a lot of stuff that I remembered from art school too, because, you know, I learned welding and sculpture and, mm -hmm. um, you know, so I just started making my own and then also mid-century modern stuff became really popular. And a lot of that stuff is just, it's so straightforward, you know, like sure. it's really about these very specific lines. So when you mm -hmm. make the lines work, boom, you have a solid piece of furniture. Um, gotcha, you know, gotcha. and uh, I forget how long ago it was, but there's a place here in Chicago called Rebuilding Exchange, and you can buy some really great reclaimed wood. They also have scrap wood, um, and it's just so easy to, like, pick up wood like that and just mess around with it. You know, okay. when you're only paying, like, a buck for this giant piece of wood, 
you know, you don't feel bad about messing it up. <laughs> like you I, go to Yeah, Home I can Depot. see that. You go to Home Depot and a plank of poplar is like 30 bucks. Sure. <laughs> You start feeling like, yeah, you really got to know what you're doing with it. Yeah, I can see that. Aside from from working in furniture and things like that, do you have any other hobbies that you've got uh, going on? Yeah, so I like horror special effects. I've been trying to make my own horror movie, but it's it's going slow. <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, what all is involved with that? Oh, uh, well, I've been learning the practical effects um, and making my oh, own sound oh, okay. effects. And uh, yeah, that's something I think we were talking about before is like, if you're really bad at making music, you're probably good at making <laughs> horror music. Sure. So sure. That's I, well, I would I would be excellent then because I got kicked out of band in seventh grade for being too bad. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was I was asked to pursue other interests. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So yeah. So so through all of this, you you know, and then kind of getting close to to our time here and wrapping things up. What are what are things that you've learned through your very interesting path um, that you feel have been most beneficial to you and, and, and might help other people in similar situations? You know, I think it goes back to having the faith in making the right decision, but also like mm -hmm. having the flexibility to understand, like, you know, sometimes working really hard to get to something is more like walking into a wall repeatedly. <laughs> sure. And you just got to sure. be willing to find another path to it. You know, it's not to say you should give up on the goal, but you should definitely find another path, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. It's uh, like we were talking before that my the entire talk I did last week was about that is, you know, set goals for yourself, but don't be so tied to them that, you know, when things go wrong or you if you somehow figure out that it's not for you, that you can't move on to something else. Yeah. I think especially as designers, you know, we get so tied to the process and the process mm -hmm. is important. You know, that methodology is what makes us designers and not, you know, random luck people, you know, yeah. like that, I think that's the difference between design and just intuiting good visual, whatever, you know, is, Mm -hmm. You know, for us, there's a process and a methodology that allows us to repeatedly get good results. And mm -hmm. for for us, when the process isn't working, we get frustrated. And, you know, sometimes it's about finding another process. Like a good designer is someone who has that repertoire in their resources to, like, come up with new ideas and solutions rather than banging their head against that wall repeatedly. Sure. Sure. Real quickly, there was a couple things that I wanted to talk to you about that we didn't get a chance to touch on. And one was, you know, when we were talking about, you know, being on the spectrum and, and struggling with different forms of empathy was, you know, communication skills and, and how you, how you navigate what, 
sometimes can be a minefield there. Can you uh, elaborate more? Sure. So, you know, a, a lot of times, and I see this in myself and I see this in my kids, is being able to have a conversation with someone who may disagree with you or, you know, have a different viewpoint than you and not being so rigid that you can't see things from their their point of view how how is how have you been able to to work around that and and find your way through that oh so this is this is kind of a skill i think i've learned from the ux side of things you know is when you're not when you're not sure why someone's doing something just ask Mm -hmm. you know um and a lot of times you know there's when when you disagree with someone or you're having an argument, a lot of times it's like my thing is better than your thing. Right. Sure. And so flipping it to why do you like your thing really changes the tone of the conversation. It opens people up and you know, like, I mean, there's some things where there's a hard line, like I don't really care why a white supremacist, why do you think? No, no. Yeah. The things they do. No, they're just wrong. They're yeah, white supremacists. They're just wrong. Yeah, there, they're, there's some things yeah. that are. Just wrong. I don't. I don't. But you know, like, I don't feel I need to have compassion right. for them. Like, but like at work, for instance, why they like design A versus design B? That is something worth asking them. You know, and sure. there will inevitably be something you can take away and add to your solution or for the future, and it's it's just good to learn that way. You know, like. I think I've, my my current manager is someone who I've learned a lot of empathy skills from. She's she's so good, um, mm-hmm. and you know, like sometimes I'll just ask her, like I'm having problems with this X problem, and like I don't even name the person. I'll just explain what the disagreement or debate is, sure. and ask her, you know, like how would she get to understanding the values from that other side you know? mm-hmm. because that's really what's most important everyone's working mm-hmm. towards the same goal in the end especially on an in-house team so there's no reason to keep fighting right that no that makes that makes complete sense i i you know i i run into that issue in my job uh, a lot uh, i work with a lot of engineers um and yeah, that 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 understanding of we're all working towards the same goal can be a challenge a lot of times. So finding ways to be able to reframe that is is key. Yeah, one of the things uh, over the summer we did was a workshop where we took the engineers on the product and we put them in the same room as the customer service representatives. <laughs> we mixed them up and we had a, you know, just like a regular like innovation sprint where we talked about like discovery, what do you think the users want? And it was really interesting to see them. Like everyone thought it was so obvious, but because they're on totally different sides of that spectrum when facing mm-hmm. the client or the product, they're just blown away by the differences. You know, why, what do you mean we can't do this? What do you mean you want that? And it's just, it was so cool to see them interact. 
Yeah, I can imagine. Well, real quickly, um, as we're wrapping things up here, what's something exciting that's uh, that's coming down the line for you mm. that you can talk about? <laughs> mm. I don't know. I might have to think about that for a little bit. I can email you follow up, but I think right now, like for man, I don't know. Like I'm pretty stoked about making the cover art for this podcast episode. (laughs) Hey, I'll take it. That, that sounds great. And then one thing I do want to bring up that you are the first person out of everybody that I talk to when I send out the little questionnaire, is there anything that you want to plug? You're the first person who wanted to plug something for any, but for somebody else. So can you tell me about um, the initiative that your friend Teresa is working on? Oh yeah. So Teresa, she's working on this thing called colored and um, it's basically, she's trying to organize the POC designers here in Chicago so mm-hmm. us within design, you know, and it's pretty cool. She had a talk a couple of months ago. Um, and, you know, I think it's it's a lot of work with for herself uh, alongside a full time job. But, you know, it's gaining traction. And, you know, I think it's something that's really interesting, especially in a city like Chicago, which, which is almost solidly like one third white, one third Latino, one third black. And then like a smattering right, right. of lots of other races when you look sure. at the tech companies, it's almost like 80% white. <laughs> and, sounds you know, like you that just, sounds, yeah. And, you know, I mean, like, I think there's a lot of disagreement to what causes that. But everyone understands, like, the path forward is that if things were more equal, whatever the causes and factors, um, it would be much more representative of the city itself. You know, that sure. just makes sense. Um, so, you know, like having these discussions, these candid discussions is much more, uh, helpful than going to work and having these weird diversity initiatives that are just mm-hmm. about quotas, you know, like all these big tech yeah. companies have been having diversity initiatives for the past few years and they're not really accomplishing much besides right. helping with lawsuits. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. And so people just want a space where they can be honest about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Teresa's she right now, she's the, um, we have a new position on the AIGA board here in Chicago. I'm not sh- I haven't seen it in other chapters. It's the ethics chair. Um, and it's about huh. that accountability. You know, we don't really need more diversity initiatives. We need that accountability. Like yeah. what's happening here that prevents diversity, that prevents accessibility. Um, you know, that's the kind of thing we need to talk about. And, um, you know, I, I can email you more info as I get it from Teresa, but I'm, I'm really hoping that it gains traction, you know, um, there are so many good people out there trying to do work like that. Very cool. Very cool. Well, real quickly, where can people find you online? Um, if they just Googled type a dactyl, they'll probably find me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that name, by the way. Yeah. You know, it was something I came up with in, I guess, 2007 or eight. You know, I, I thought it was funny typos and pterodactyls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It made me laugh. <laughs> 
Well, Charlene, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, it was great talking uh, with you, Jason. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And uh, go ahead and hug some necks. All right, cool. Thanks. You can find out more about Charlene on Twitter at Typodactyl. And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with her. You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Creative SL Pod and follow Creative South on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creative South GA over at CreativeSouth.com. And I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. Jack Prince is giving Creative South podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code CREATE15CS at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. For a limited time, new Skillshare customers can get their first three months for just 99 cents to get unlimited access to thousands of classes when you sign up at Skillshare.com using promo code CREATIVESOUTH. What are you waiting for? Start learning today. And... Remember, if you like the show, help support us over at patreon.com slash creative south. And if you like the Creative South podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Rate us and leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests. Now go out and hug some necks. Necks.